0: Thank you.
1: Good morning everybody. How's everybody doing? Good good to be with y'all. Good to see y'all. Is it raining yet? Is it? All right, well, hope everybody's doing well. If you want, we'll stand and we'll praise God. Father, we're here for you this morning. We pray for this time as we're together that as we sing, as we sing praise to you, as we hear your word, that we all grow um, closer to each other, closer to you, uh, just to be a better church for you and your kingdom, God. So we uh, just pray for Leonard as he preaches, and pray for all of us to be open to you and how you're working in us, and we praise you and are so grateful that you do do that. Um, so just um, we got a busy season coming up here, and an exciting, awesome season, so we just pray that you restore us each day to get us through it and to give us new energy every morning um, and we love you God we praise you and we're so happy you are always there with us and that's why we sing these songs and come here every week God. So uh, we give this time to you and
2: worship The King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing his wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the Ancient of Days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Tell of his might. Oh, sing of his grace, whose robe is the light and canopy space. His chariots of after the the thunderclouds form, and darkness his path on the wings of the storm.
3: Good morning church. How is everybody today? Good. Well I'm so excited because I've been waiting all week to tell you about someone very special. I'm so excited about it. So if you want to go ahead and put up the first screen. I want to tell you today about a very special lady named Mary Alice. Mary Alice is my beautiful and wonderful grandmother. So you can put up the next slide. This is her. Isn't she beautiful? This is me a few years ago with her. Well, Mary Alice was a farmer's wife. She was a silent saint. I always call her a silent saint. If you don't know what that is, it means that she isn't famous. She didn't write any big novels. She was just a silent saint. On this side of heaven, she was mostly unknown. But I know when she arrived, she was told, well done, good and faithful servant. She was a silent saint. She loved the Lord with her whole heart. She sang awful. She had a horrible singing voice, horrid. Uh, She didn't care. She always sat, stood in the same pew every week of her life and sang her heart out. It was horrible and beautiful at the same time. Um, She grew the best strawberries in the whole world. They were so divine, you would swear they were from heaven themselves. Um, And she did my favorite thing. She rescued and adopted my wonderful dad, who we love and adore just as much. All right, so the next slide. So I'm going to tell you four things that Mary Alice took very seriously. She was light and bubbly and funny, would hug you so hard you were sure you were going to burst. She was always happy and joyful, except for four things that you did not mess with her about. Next slide. She was very serious about mealtime. You showed up on mealtime, washed and ready, and never in her entire life was it served a minute late. Somehow, amazing. Mealtime, very serious. The color red was her favorite. She loved it, and she wore it every day. And at this age of my life, I wonder, why don't I do that? It made her happy. She wore it every day. She would tell you and could prove that Jersey cows were the very best. And you did not speak otherwise. And the last was that Ohio State football. I.O. Right? Yes. Wonderful for the W. She did not mess around when it came to Ohio State football. Um, she took it very seriously. And when it came to a cow show, you didn't speak or breathe. And when it came to a football game, same thing. She might not have been what some people would consider the biggest fan. She didn't know stats. She might not have known where the players were from, but it didn't matter. She taught me what it meant to be a serious fan, and she was. It didn't matter what else was happening. Listen to this. She always knew What time kickoff was, she knew. And you prioritized the day around kickoff. You prioritized family gatherings around kickoff. It was the only time mealtime might change because of kickoff. And you knew if anything needed to be done, it had to be done before kickoff. Because once kickoff happened, her head was in the game. She was ready for a win. She was a super, super fan. So, next slide, please. My challenge to you, to myself, is that let's now be a Mary Alice here at this church. Let's have a heart like Mary Alice, and let's get ready for our kickoff. And let's be just as serious as that beautiful silent saint was. You can go to the next slide. Next Sunday, September 11th, is our kickoff for our team here at this church. And I'm asking you to have a heart like her. That we are known for this. We are united to this. Let's unite in love and have a heart. Let's worship. Let's fellowship. Let's laugh. Let's have ice cream. Let's do all of it next Sunday. Let's prioritize it. Let's kick it off. And let's win this game. Next slide. If you don't know how to help or how to be a part still next Sunday and you are now inspired by Mary Alice like I have been my whole life, just come and meet me in the parlor after service today and I can tell you how to help. And please join up because I promise you it is going to be a game that you are going to want to be a part of. Last slide. And together, let's get ready for kickoff. Thank you, church. Kids can be dismissed. Dismissed.
4: All right, we could just take up an offering and end a service right there. Good job, Amy. Appreciate that. should be a lot of fun as we uh, get together. Uh, we had a gathering last Sunday, uh, and it was, uh, it was awesome. And I know that as these things unfold, it's just so cool to see people engaged again and the church come alive. Uh, and as we do that, we know that we are the church for each other, uh, and we're the church for the community. And uh, for people that are online and gathering with us, uh, we're the church for you as well. And so we hope that uh, as God moves through uh, this morning, that uh, he can continue to give us instructions on the road ahead. Uh, Maybe a word of encouragement along the way. Uh, But whatever it is that you need, I know that God is more than able to provide. Uh, So I want to just sort of start off here for a minute with uh, any prayer concerns or any prayer needs that you might have. Uh, if you look on the, um, on the, uh, on the uh, handout that you were given, there is a QR code that you can scan with your phone. And if you ever need to put anything uh, down uh, for prayer concerns, needs, ways that we can help you, uh, that is one place you can go to if you're tech savvy. And most of us are, if we're not, we're learning. And uh, the other is just uh, old school, pull one of us aside that look like we know what we're doing. And uh, we'll try to direct you or help you or pray with you, whatever the case may be. Uh, but I uh, just wanted to um, uh, lift up a few things. Um, uh, just, uh, I just wanted to mention uh, Don Wolfgang is um, going through a long road. And uh, we want to just lift Don up in terms of uh, him getting some repairs done to his heart. And then, and then some additional things that he's looking ahead to uh, in terms of um, some other procedures uh, so please keep him lifted up. And I know Rod doesn't want me to mention it, but um, in, in a few weeks he's going to be getting a knee replaced. And a lot of you have been through that, and maybe you could just come alongside and say, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be okay. Um, but uh, keep him lifted up as well. Uh, anything that you brought into this room today that we can be praying for, uh, feel free to share if there's anything on your mind or your heart. Joe Carroll. Joe Carroll Gray. It is so good to see you. Awesome. Okay, don't make it too long. Is that what you said? Yeah. What can we pray for today? lift up okay Everybody, it? Everybody. yeah Joe Carroll has been at a lay facility that um, is for elderly care and it's been a blessing for you uh, and, and you're not able to get to church very often so we're so grateful for that you can't have everything you want <laughs> can't have everything you no, I, that's why I found that out it's not good but it probably is good You got the spirit, don't you? Yeah. You can't expect it immediately. Yeah. You can't it immediately. Some people need more help. And
0: you can't play bingo every night. <laughs> 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 they didn't know. There's only a few. Yeah. And they have to keep, they can't stop. They, they just... Yeah.
4: It's so good to, it's just so good to hear your voice. Praise the Lord. Okay. Kendall. Um, Some friends of mine, um, their two-year-old granddaughter was just diagnosed with leukemia. Okay. So she just started treatment this past week. Was diagnosed and started treatment within three days. Is there a first name we can be praying for? Her name's Winnie. Winnie? Yes. Okay. And that's... um, Uh, the granddaughter that uh, is two years old that has just been diagnosed with leukemia, which is very frightening. Um, So we'll keep Winnie lifted up in her purse, okay? Anyone else? Patty Pym. Today
0: is Nancy Votov's birthday and I think we should sing. Uh
4: (laughs) Well, it's been decreed then. Uh, We'll do our best. (laughs) Nancy, you're not 25. More like 26. At least that person <laughs> inside of you. I know you well enough that you're youthful, but we won't pry into where you're at on the timeline, other than to say happy birthday for sure. But yeah, we'll sing it. I mean, we haven't sung in it a long time, and um, we can sing it acapella. But somebody better sing because I'm not going to be just stuck up here. So we're all going to lift you up in a, in in a happy birthday thing. We'll just. If there's any other birthdays in here, this goes out to you as well. So here we go. Happy birthday
0: to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday dear Nancy. Happy birthday to
4: you. And many more. Very good, very good. I hope that wasn't recorded, okay? anything else you guys got it's, um, I did want to mention there there was a, I guess a shooting or a shots fired or something if I can canfield last night I know that was kind of on people's minds uh, Brittany shared um, you know her dad Dave uh, works up there uh, whenever the fair occurs and uh, he was kind of in the middle of that but everybody's okay right okay so that, that's a praise but obviously that's that's uh, unsettling for sure because um, it's such a big part of the fall season, going to the Canfield Fair, and uh, we definitely want God's peace to prevail in our communities around us. So let's um, let's go ahead on that note and just pray for all these things that we've mentioned. Would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, we know that you are you are in control. That the that the that the boundaries of our humanity are. Are, are constrained by your mighty hand as the ruler over all. But yet we also know that um, we live in a world where we have the ability to choose, and sometimes we choose wisely and sometimes we choose destructively. And we are grateful, Lord, that you have given us just a revelation of who you are through your word and through the testimony of the people that have gone before us and we have a sense that uh, there is a better day ahead. And we know that even as we pray the Lord's Prayer, that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven, that you want us to be salt and light to a world that is broken and in decay and 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 estranged from you. And we feel those pangs when we think about two-year-old children like Winnie who are going through... Um, things that uh, right out of the gate just seem so unfair and we trust father that uh, when it comes to disease and things of that nature that what christ has done in that healing power on the cross has the effect of not only healing our souls but healing our bodies and so we just pray that um, you lord jesus would place your hand of healing upon her and just make her whole and that you'd be with her family and help them in this season to just depend on you to provide and to lead and to give direction on how to best uh, help this young life to thrive. We pray, Father, a prayer of thanksgiving for just things we celebrate like uh, birthdays and um, just the fact that Joe Carroll could be with us today and things that uh, we see in front of us all the time, but because we're fixated on the bad, we don't celebrate the blessings of the moment. So Lord, recalibrate our hearts to see what is in front of us that is good, that is sourced in you, that is truly a blessing. And to recognize that there are ways that your creation just declares your praises that we don't always see. Give us eyes to recognize where those acts of your good glory are being manifested. Father, I just pray that as... um, We lift up Don Wolfgang to you. We just ask that there would be healing for him on the road ahead and for Rod as well uh, as he anticipates uh, his knee surgery and for anybody that we haven't mentioned. We just want to lift pastorally all of these needs before your throne. And for the things that are coming up in our activities here at church, we pray they wouldn't just be an end within themselves, but the substance of what they're about is a means of building up your people, whether it's um, us as your church or the people that are our guests and people that we're trying to show uh, 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 the way to you towards, and we pray that you would just bless um, the gathering that's coming up next Sunday with our our kickoff and with everything that uh, we have just in the small events coming up that are designed to build up your people for the purposes of doing kingdom work, as you've called us. And so please just be at work in all of those things, because without you, uh, we know they come to nothing. And may you be glorified in that and glorified in your church and in our lives, Father, as we uh, come before your word in a spirit of surrender, that you would find us a people open to hearing and people listening and responding to the things that you have... have, um, brought to bear upon our being uh, through your holy word. Uh, So we pray you bless it and bless that time. And we ask, Father, that as you give us a heart and a mind that is calibrated like the disciples who followed your son here on earth, that you help us to pray the Lord's prayer with the understanding that it is our operating instructions for who we are as kingdom people. So would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is a kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, this is um, actually going to be the last installment that we're going to do on Luke for a while. Next week, we're going to be launching um, uh, a seven-week series on the book of Daniel. And I don't know if you've ever read the book of Daniel, but as I've read it uh, lately in the past month and i thought about it, it seems like the stuff that's happening in that book corresponds very, very much with the stuff that is happening in our world and things that we are confused about that that unsettled feeling that you, you sense in the air, uh, that book, I think, speaks a lot to that. And in essence, what comes out of it is, is this notion of greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And Daniel brings that to life, and I'm very excited about going through that. Not only will we be doing that series, but we'll also have a devotional guide that will, that will accompany that. And so those will be available right outside the worship center next week. Uh, so after the message, you can pick that up. And then we'll provide that each week so that you can, in the course of the week, kind of tune in to the Lord through that, that devotional time if you've gotten out of the habit. Uh, so really looking forward to that. Also, we are doing a study on, on the Giants. And some people have said, uh, yeah, I'd like to be a part of that on Sunday morning. So we're offering that as well right after worship. And so if you haven't signed up for that and you want to be a part of that, uh, just go to the studio, and we've got the uh, sign-up sheet there. And uh, we'd love to include you in that. And we're also meeting on Tuesdays, of course, uh, at 1030, if you could join us then. Uh, But regardless, the point is we want everyone to be involved in some kind of community here because we cannot do what is happening in this world and do our faith. Uh, in, a, in the healthiest way possible without being connected to a community of people of some kind that, that, that we feel comfortable in, that we know we can trust, and that we'll be encouraged by. And we want to see that happen through our church so that we can be strong. Um, so there are other things coming up, of course. Uh, so look in your, um, look in, in, in your um, uh, announcements, and you can kind of tune into the things that, uh, that are coming up, and some of them very quickly. Uh, so please take a look at that but uh, for right now I'd like for you to look at the book of Luke chapter uh, 20 and we're going to be finishing out uh, this part of Jesus's uh, journey to Jerusalem uh, by by spending a little time in Luke 29 through 19 so in this um, in this telling it' It really is starting to escalate the intensity of what is happening in Jesus's life. It's all kind of coming to a head. And my hope is, as he's going into Jerusalem, we all know if we know the gospel story. um, And if we don't, that's okay. Uh, As he goes into Jerusalem, he's getting ready to encounter his fate. Uh, He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be tried. He's going to be put to death. But we know that it doesn't end there. And so what I'd like to do is in, in um, it, 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 at, at, at the beginning of the new year, pick this back up. That way we can move right into that conclusion of this escalating story as we move into Lent and then into Easter. So that's sort of a little bit of a timeline on studies that we're doing and Advent coming up, Daniel and Advent and then. Uh, Off to um, Lent. Can you believe it? I mean, it's already like September what? What is today? The 4th? September 4th. I mean, it's like the earth is spinning pretty fast. And so you better hang on. But anyway, let's read the scripture and then let's uh, kind of figure out what God has to say to us today as we gather for worship. So here we read uh, He went on to tell the people this parable. And the backdrop, to this setting is he was just challenged by the religious leaders regarding his authority and where he gets it. And if you, if you heard the message last week, we, we tracked that a little bit. And if you haven't, feel free to YouTube it. It's available still. Uh, but basically, uh, clearly people are taking sides. Either they're for Jesus or they're not for Jesus. And the ones not for Jesus are beginning to get very hostile Recognizing that, he just kind of puts it out there. This is the reason why I came, and this is what I know is going to happen to me. So he tells a story. And he says, a man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. And at harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him, "'and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but that one also they beat "'and they treated shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. "'And he sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. "'Then the owner of the vineyard said, "'What shall I do? "'I know I will send my son, whom I love.'" And perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. just a little sidebar. Uh, Usually in that era when tenant farmers were working the land of the people that owned it, and the landowner's died without any heirs whatsoever, a lot of times that, that, that tenant farmer, the, the land would default to them and they could benefit from that. Usually the relationship was a little more cooperative than hostile. And so in their mind, the logic kind of fits that if he's gone, his son is gone, then it's all ours. Okay. So you kind of see where their hearts are at on this. Okay, so as this unfolds, Jesus is telling it. People are starting to get a little bit upset because it's clearly a hostile kind of story. So they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. And what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when the people heard this, they said god forbid and jesus looked directly at them and he asked them what is the meaning of that which is written the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone everyone who fails falls on this stone will be broken and broken to pieces and anyone to whom um, it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the other priests then began to look for a way to arrest him and just get this over with and get this annoying person out of the way. And because... As Jesus is saying these things, the net effect continually has been condemnation of where their heart is at, and they knew that this parable was about them, but there was something else going on in their minds that was driving them, and that was the fear of the people. That is, what were the people thinking? So there's a couple of things at work here that we're going to just look at for a few minutes. And that is, how does this story have anything to do with where I'm at in this moment with my life and the things going on? And I think that's a good question because you come to church like I come to church and you're asking, Lord, help me to hear your voice in the things that are being said through your word. And it is interesting. Uh, It seems like as I've gone through Luke, there's always been a corresponding personal experience that has happened that um, puts a little light on this. And I think about the story through the lens of a farmer. Do we have any farmers here, anybody in the ag business? I know we're kind of more in a, in, in a machinery-oriented part of, the, part of the country. But there are farmers out there and around. And what I've discovered about farmers, because I grew up around the farm, and I know a lot of them, and I know that one thing that farmers do is they love to go to the grain elevator and gossip. A lot. I mean, these guys... You, men, men crack on women for gossiping. These guys, women have nothing on these guys. These guys can gossip up a storm about everything. And it's a pretty big deal. You know, and they're, they're the first, like, they're, they're, there's a competition about who can get out in the field first. And then when somebody's tractor breaks, well, then they're cracking on that guy for a John Deere or whatever. You know, and there's a whole complicated mix of uh, world building here when it comes to farming. And what I've noticed in that industry is that uh, in the 70s, it was, it was running pretty robust, but in the 80s, things just started to kind of sort of unravel. And a lot of farmers were disappearing in terms of uh, uh, no longer doing uh, that occupation. And uh, big companies were coming in and buying up farms. And I remember working on the farm, and we had, we had cows. I don't think they were jerseys, though. I'm just going to tell you, they were Angus. And since Amy's not here to defend herself, I'm just going to say it. Angus cows are the best cows. But you know what? I don't want to create div- div- division in this church over, over that. But... Um, Anyway, uh, but we I remember my, un, my uncle was fixated on the markets. So if he wasn't outside work and he was inside listening to the radio or watching the TV to find out what the futures markets were doing. And it was almost like that fixation had so overwhelmed him that um, I asked him, I said, because I was just starting to go to church. And I asked, I said, Uncle Ralph, when's the last time you've been to church? And he said, uh, it's been a really long time, and I've just been too busy for church. And I don't want to make a, an analogy here between the success of farming and the connection to the Lord, but I did notice growing up in a farming community that most of the farmers that I knew and the farmer's kids, they just they didn't go to church. God really wasn't like somebody that they thought was, a serious part of their day other than in an emergency they might say hey pray that we can get some rain or something and i knew other farmers that were very godly and very faithful and served as elders in churches and things like that and it was sort of like a divide either there are farmers who were deeply committed or there are farmers who had really no interest in things like that and the preoccupation between one who said church is the most important thing and the other one who said the markets are the most important thing, I think had bearing on how they looked at the world around them. And so some farmers, when they look at the world, all they see is people who are trying to take their money away from them, people trying to rip them off, And it's almost toxic where you could see some of that stuff happening. And there was sort of a negative tone a lot of times to some of these guys and and, and even a simmering anger. And, you know, fast forward a little bit to uh, the the, the current day that we're in. And I just remember a couple of years ago uh, that they were saying that of all the people committing suicide, the greatest cohort at that time were farmers. And I wondered what the connection was between those who were part of of a community of people that were connected to the things of God and those who were disconnected. And I did a funeral not too long ago for a farmer. And it was weird because the conversation that I had with them, there there was really no language for where the loved one had gone. There was really no sense of, oh, we know that he's with the Lord. It was sort of like he's, he was here and now he's gone. And those funerals are the hardest to do because there's no sense of hope. There's no sense of story here. There's no sense of, hey, we're good. We're celebrating his life, but we also know where he's at. It was just, I kid you not, I see this pattern over and over and over. It was just, I got Nothing. I got nothing. Our view of the world didn't really have a place for that. He's gone, and that's that. And I just think about that, and I realize something, that the thing that we spend the most time on, perhaps the thing we fixate on, is the thing that begins to define us. You know, I've I've known people that when you talk to them, I remember talking to a wealthy person, kind of having a wealthy person in my orbit at one point. And um, they were good at making a lot of money. And they saw the world as a set of value propositions, that is, everything from what kind of holiday vacation to take, to which, which kind of craft beer to choose at the right place, at the right restaurant, at the right time, to why certain people liked him or didn't like him. And if someone was rude to him, it was because they were jealous and felt threatened by his power and success, obviously. If someone was kind to him, it was because they admired his power and success, or in some cases, maybe they wanted part of it. And so everything was filtered through a lens that said, it is about power and money. And so every person that I see, that's my filter. And I remember knowing somebody, a woman that was was very, quite beautiful. And she saw the world in terms of attraction and attention. Everything from job interviews to getting discounts at restaurants to dealing with um, a nagging mother. The background subtext was her beauty. And if someone was rude to her, it was because they were intimidated by the fact that She was so striking, and maybe they lacked that beauty. If someone was kind to her, it was probably because they admired her beauty and wanted access to it. And maybe you know that person. Then there's the other person who I've met before as well. And this is a person that is socially awkward, wasn't really well liked, and saw the world as a popularity contest that he was probably and perpetually losing. And he would receive poor service at restaurants, he'd be looked over, and people wouldn't listen to his jokes. And if someone was rude to him in his mind, because, well, they think they're cooler than me. And so you kind of get the point, don't you? That there's something about living in this world where how we measure ourselves is based primarily on the thing that is most important to us. And you need to kind of process that a little bit as, as I do as well. Because the thing we value is the thing that we look for. It is the thing we look for in other people. It is the thing that defines us. And you have to ask yourself, how is it that I, that I would calibrate my understanding, my measure of myself, my measure of people around me, and if I had one big line that, that I would say um, would define what Jesus is up against, it's this, the way you measure yourself is how you measure others. And how you assume others will measure you. Now, if you go back to the story, you remember <clears throat> these people looked at Jesus as, <coughs> excuse me, He was unqualified to speak about the Word of God because he didn't have the right credentials. He didn't have the right authority. <clears throat> Not only that, he came from a poor part of the, of the, of the, uh, uh, of the country, and uh, he wasn't respected because of his lack of wealth. He didn't have a place to lay his head. And as the religious establishment, which happened to be very wealthy as well, were sizing him up, <clears throat> by their measure... He, had, he was out of place, out of sync. <clears> that it was a hairball. <clears throat> I think I got it. Been hanging around with my cat too long. <clears throat> so, anyway, um, Jesus, by their measure, did not measure up at all. And as far as they were concerned, um, what he was preaching. Redefining what God's kingdom was supposed to look like didn't fit the bill either. You know, Jesus came and he said, um, I'm going to show compassion on the poor, I'm going to heal hurting people, I'm going to give attention to people that don't matter or count to anybody else, I'm going to actually invest in their lives in a way that's costly. And there's something about what Jesus was doing that for most of us, when we are in a moment of need or dependency, really radiates that God cares, that God loves, that God is in the middle of whatever it is you and I are going through. But you would never get that from the people that are opposing Jesus. Because in their mind, they gave that stuff up a long time ago. And what Jesus said was, the tenants would kick out every servant that the master sent. And it's sort of a veiled description of what he had mentioned earlier. And that is, when the prophets come to Jerusalem and they call out the fact that the values of the religious establishment are out of sync with God's values that the values of the people are out of sync with God's values, well, they would get kicked out. They would get beaten. And some of them will get killed. And you wonder, why is that? Why do we not want to hear the truth? Why do we not want to hear those things that are God's measure for ourselves? I mean... If you're like me, it is awesome to be able to come to church, to find forgiveness, to find acceptance from other people. Really hard thing about coming to church isn't so much the fact that God says, I want you to go out and serve other people. The hard thing about coming to church is that God says, but we got some work to do in here. There's some stuff in there that doesn't fit. That you've somehow taken on and allowed yourself to be defined by, and it's got to change. And I've had people say, I did not like your sermon. And some of them were like, yeah, it probably wasn't a good sermon, but oftentimes I think it's because it strikes a chord. And it says something that they didn't want to hear. And when it does, shoot the messenger. And that's essentially just a pattern that Jesus says happens when somebody brings the good news. It's great news until God challenges you and I to change our hearts. And some of us may even say, I have changed my heart up until here. Here. But the hard part about changing your heart is it has to be an wholesale, overall, remaking of ourselves into the likeness of Jesus. God's not going to stop with any of us until that happens. He is extremely patient. That's one thing I know about farmers. Even though they like to gossip, they're pretty patient folk. I mean, they know you plant in the spring and you harvest in the fall. And you just got to wait. And God says, with you, I'm waiting. And that day will come when I signal something to you and I say, it's time to work on this. And what I find in this encounter that Jesus is going through on sort of a macro scale is what I believe you and I go through on sort of a micro scale. Now, Jesus, you've started to meddle. I mean, I kind of like the way my faith is right now. But God loves us way too much to say, we're going we're gonna to allow inferior parts to be at work inside of you. Those got to be replaced with the OEM stuff the good stuff, the stuff that the factory said should be there in the first place. Maybe if you're a mechanic, you can relate to that. If not, see me after the sermon. But Jesus recognizes that. And what is so fascinating is that he starts not with the common folk who got lots of issues, clearly, but he goes right to the people that are front and center in the faith. He says, we're going to work on you. Of course, when God says that, I'm like, you mean him or her, right? And God says, look at me. I'm talking to you. And that's a hard thing. But God's not doing it because he's wanting to hurt us, shame us, guilt us, make us look bad. He said, my son is taking care of all that stuff on the cross. I am doing it because I am setting you aside for eternity. And I want us to live together in a space where the brokenness of this world will no longer be an issue. And the whole idea behind the vineyard was that God gave a promise all the way back during the time of Abraham that one day will come when I will bring my son into the world and he will begin to restore things back to the way we want them to be. You know, we drove up to a wedding reception last night to Warren, Ohio on Route 45 and you're looking at all of the facilities that were there relative to Lordstown and Mandy's like, this place looks like it has seen a better day. The moment isn't there anymore. And I said, yeah, a lot of past tense. You know, the, the glories come and the glories departed. And it's sort of sad and depressing. But if you take that down to a human scale and you recognize that we've, God said, just hang on to all of that garbage that's in your heart. I mean, it may drive you through life, it may seem to be enough for now, but by eternity's measure, it is past tense stuff. I also thought about another story as I was reflecting on this. Now, I don't know if you have a lot of heavy metal people in here, but I I know at least one, so I'll throw him under the bus. Um, But I, I like Metallica. I just will say it. It's out there. There are some aspects of it that are not good and you know, I tune that out. But I just like that genre. Back in the eighties, before they started to be who they were, and everybody knows, there was a there was a phenomenal guitarist who was with them. And right before they were about to be signed on, the people in that band said to this guitarist, We don't want you. And next thing you know, he's hearing about them getting signed on, and he's been excluded. And in that spirit of betrayal and that spirit of basically being discarded, he says, I'm going to prove to them that I am somebody worthy. And so he spent the next 25 years building his own band. And he so carefully and obsessively built this band to a level where by the time he was done, over 25, 30 million albums have been sold and you think, well, by golly, you pulled it off. But then it was interesting because I remember watching an interview of this person who was discarded and he tearfully said, all I wanted to do was prove to those guys that I was worthy to be a part of that band. It wasn't, hey, you know what, I moved on. No, the whole thing that has driven me was a spirit of revenge that says, I just want to show them that I am worthy. And you think about that thing that got him so far, and you realize something that it's just past tense stuff that doesn't fit in God's economy. It is stuff that kind of works in this world, but it is not the stuff of eternity. And Jesus is deeply concerned about that stuff taking on life in you and I. He wants every one of us to be with him forever. And when he sees us, we know that scripture says he has a unique name that has been apportioned to us that only he knows. And it's written on a stone. And it's his way of assigning to us that new name for that new way of life, even though we'll still be, in essence, the same personality and person recognizable. But there will be something different about us. Because we will be completely transformed into who we're supposed to be. And God doesn't say, hey, you know what? Just get saved right now and carry on the way that you want to carry on. And when that time comes and I bring you into that new creation, we'll press a button, presto, change And you're going to be fit for eternity. Now God says it doesn't work that way. I'm beginning the process now. Not because I want to wreck your experience here on earth. But I actually want to make it better. I want to take the values that I've designed for you out of the people factory to function by, I just want to put them back into place. You guys ever read the owner's manual in your car? Not unless you have to, right? Oh, I was supposed to get an oil change 50,000 miles ago. I, I probably should have read the manual. And that's sort of what God sees when he looks at you and I. He says, you really just are projecting on everybody your view of the world and there's a larger view matter of fact when I see people no matter who they are where they've been what they've done what they've had done to them each and every one of them are made in my image they're valuable and Jesus came to reclaim that for the prideful he has to bust us down And for the broken and hurting, he has to come alongside and say, I love you, and I want to help you, and everything in between. And so Jesus was at a crossroads with uh, the people that were running the temple. And he wanted to give them a chance to respond to the, the owner of the vineyard's proposal. Because the owner just loved that son to such a degree that he felt like surely a sense of that will be felt when they see him. But what they valued was far different and far more obscuring of their ability to see him. And sometimes I think God t- checks us a little bit, and we have a come-to-Jesus moment. And God says, you value that too much, too much, and we've got to put that in its right place. We've got to right-size that thing. And I don't know what that thing is for you. And there's really a couple of responses. No, it's not going to happen. And well, then one day we're just going to break. And all of a sudden, we'll see where Jesus fits, and then we're like, "Oh, we rejected him, but he—he he actually belongs right here." Here's a trivia question for you: In 1920, where was the largest sandstone rock sandstone quarry in the world? Anybody know? Amherst, Ohio. True story. Buildings all over the United States and around the world have stones from Amherst, Ohio. Quarry people would go in there and day and night, practically, they would be carving this stuff out of the rock, getting it ready to be set on uh, different foundations and creating structures like post offices and libraries and public buildings and private uh, skyscrapers, you name it, that place. But when you look at pictures of it today, you see kind of some stones that were left behind. And Jesus kind of tells this story from Psalm 118, which is a psalm that when you would go to the temple, you would follow the king, kind of the imagery was, and you would be chanting Psalm 118. It was kind of a a processional psalm to go up to the temple and worship. And Jesus is uh, quoting this psalm left and right. He quotes it in uh, in, in, in Luke 13 and he quotes it again in Luke 19 and now he quotes it a little bit differently because when he quoted it before it said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's a good word. And it's offered twice to show that Jesus is coming and everybody that accept him accepts him finds blessing. But then Jesus quotes another part of the psalm And he says, the stone the builders have rejected has become the capstone. And he gives a word of warning that when it arrives, it has a way of crushing you if you don't put it in its proper place. And don't get me wrong, Jesus is not intending to be violent, but he's saying that the absence of Jesus from our life will have a crushing effect. And the city of Jerusalem, two two generations later, or generation later, Jesus is not there and not one stone is left on another. But the reason why the imagery is important is because in the quarry, there's all these stones that are dedicated for different parts of the building project. And then there's this one that somebody says... Uh, we can just leave that one over there. So they get the building all put together in the right place, in the right proportion, every stone going every place that it belongs, and then all of a sudden there's this spot at a very critical part of the structure, and they're like, we're missing a stone. And without a stone that is of that unique size and, deny, and, and, and design, without Something that will fit there, this whole thing doesn't work. And then they go back to the quarry, and they look again, and they're like, oh, we didn't see it. We thought that was something else. But that, in fact, is the stone that's going to make this work. And I think when Jesus was doing the good business that he was doing, a lot of people were sort of like, we're not sure where he fits. Some of us were saying he fits, but time will tell exactly how. Others have said he fits, and it seems like the more I recognize how much he fits, the more he makes a difference. Because I'm finding I'm talking to him more in the workplace I'm talking to him more when I'm having conflict. I'm talking to him more when I feel restless and I don't have peace. I'm talking to him more whenever I just have no other recourse but to depend on God. And funny thing, I'm talking to him more when I just want to celebrate that good thing that has been right in front of me the whole time and I didn't appreciate it. And then there's some of us who say, I don't know what to do with this Jesus. I don't really have a category for him. I don't really have a need for him. And God may be saying to you, Do you remember that time? I was was kind of nudging you. you Remember that time when your back was against the wall and you, you prayed and things got better, but you forgot that you prayed. Do you remember that time when you were going through such a struggle and you sensed that, yeah, there is a God, there is a Lord, and he is there? And then life got better and you went on? Do you remember all those times? And then you look backwards and you say, oh, yeah. And maybe God's doing that to you right now. He's just letting you look at the the replay So that he can show you, I was here, and I was here, and I was here. And I kid you not, I believe with all my heart that that is how God works. He tracks with us more than we would ever know. Probably the greatest thing that came out of my family farm, because it eventually broke up and 11 kids, land went all different directions, it wasn't so much Art the, the patriarch, but it was Elsie, not to be confused with Elsie the cow, but Elsie, my grandmother, who was constantly praying for those 11 kids, constantly praying for their grandkids. And I got into a conversation with a cousin of mine and we were comparing our stories And it was almost like his story paralleled my own. And he was actually thinking about going into ministry. And then some things happened, and he went in a different direction. My jaw was on the floor. And I said, Troy, why do you think that is? And he said, I think it was because our grandmother was praying for us. This kind of comes full circle all the way back to Amy's grandmother. And if I were to ask you the question, would you rather be someone famous and influential for something that doesn't matter, like say being on a reality TV show? I mean, you could have your moment. Or be anonymous and unknown Despite working on something that is insanely important. Second one. Joe Carroll, thumbs up for the second one. But how often do we choose the first one? How often do we do that thing that the people say? That's important. Because essentially that's what the religious establishment were saying. We got to do what we're doing because the people say that what we're doing is important the way we're doing it. At least that's what we are projecting onto them. And I wonder. We brought it up last week. How much do the voices of other people influence your life versus the voices They're the voice, rather, of the one who made your life and is in the process of redeeming your life. And then the prospect is calling your life and my life to be together in a place where things work. That really is the vision that Jesus had. But it is not an easy road to get there. It's not a magic flip a switch or wave a wand. It is a long, patient process of changing your heart and mind through the crucible of life experience to become like his son. And I certainly hope none of us conclude our life with the sense that the people around us are looking at what's happening at that ceremony and saying, I'm not sure what's going on here. I don't know what to make of this. But rather, it is a celebration. A well done, good and faithful servant. And God knows how messy life can be. God knows our guilt, our shame, the things that we get caught up in and drawn to and pulled away. I mean, sin itself, sin and selfishness have a gravitational pull on your heart and mine until that time comes. And Jesus is the only one who can intercept that. So All that stuff is happening. And the Savior is saying, but I'm here. I can be the cornerstone of your life and make it right. Well, as we move from the message into the time around the table again this week, um, I'd like for you guys to take your communion cups and um, proceed to open them up. Because as Jesus came into the world and set all of these challenging and wonderful things he wanted to make it very real for the people that said i want to follow you by establishing a ritual that provides stability it anchors our souls it gives us a sense of our own identity and it is a ritual that is called a covenant which is an agreement that is with ourselves and with God. Yesterday I did a wedding and I underscored to the people at the little chapel up in Boardman. I said, God uses this moment that we're celebrating to create a relational agreement between a husband and a wife where knowing people like I do, selfish as we can be and willful, that marriage is not going to last. At least statistics say so. Unless there's a third party that says, yeah, but I'm here to help you along. And it was so cool to underscore that because I, I've had that own, that experience myself. And there's something about a covenantal relationship with God that makes all the difference. And it starts with a blood-stained cross and a broken body that was destroyed for very unjust reasons, willfully, so that we could come before God and each other in a spirit of forgiveness where our shame is placed on the cross And that spirit of reconciliation begins to go to work between us and God and us and each other. And then we find that we're at this table and there is no one that is better than another. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. And Jesus said, I gave you my body and my blood because that is how deeply I want you. And so it's a very sacred moment when we recognize just how significant that is. And it is God's call to us to just examine ourselves and ask, how am I doing in my relationship with Jesus? And only you can answer that. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us this loaf and this cup for what it symbolizes in a life-given life given a life exchanged for lives that are unworthy and untrustworthy. And yet you have a better vision for us. And around this table, we take nourishment in a way that moves us into that place. So please convict us where we need conviction and give us a fresh sense of unburdening. And then call us, Lord, into the kind of people that you call us to be so that places around us will feel the effect of people that live for you. May you bless everyone as they take the loaf and the cup and may you bless the community that they live in as they bring to bear the life that uh, you call us to live upon it. In Jesus' name, let's take this.
1: Go ahead and stand a little close.
2: Oh no. what are you
1: our strength to make it through the day. As we uh, go from this place, let us lean into you to rely on that assurance that you are with us always. So I just uh, pray for everybody this week and their lives, works, families, anything they got going on, God. I just pray you bless them and just reassure us all that you are always with us. And let's come back next weekend and just pray for all the stuff we got going on as a church over these next few weeks. Uh, we love you and praise you. Amen. See y'all later.